Welcome to the Hey Legal Quiz with me, Edith Forrest. The aim of this quiz is to provide some light-hearted entertainment during lockdown and beyond. I'll be asking 20 questions of leading Scottish legal figures, questions which give insight to their careers and their lives beyond the law. So let's begin. So I'm joined now uh, by Ian McSporing QC, who's kindly agreed to take our Hey Legal Quiz. Hello, Ian. Hello, Edith. I'm not sure kindly, foolishly, is the word <laughs> I would use, but here I am. Not at all. We're really looking forward to hearing your, your answers. So we will just uh, get started uh, without mm-hmm. further ado. So, Ian, if you weren't a lawyer, what would you be? I've always fancied acting or, more importantly, stand-up comedy or something. Not to say I'd be very good at it, but even quite recently I've thought to myself, stand-up comedies for me. And last year I gained a qualification to be an independent funeral celebrant uh, because I've spoken, I've done eulogies at a number of funerals and uh-huh. um, people have said to me, you should be a minister. I think what they really meant was you should have been a minister instead of being a lawyer because you're already <laughs> good at being a lawyer. But uh, anything which gives me a captive audience, which is why I've ended up as a lawyer. But I, I, the, the, the celebrancy thing is something I do want to do in the future. Mm-hmm. Stand-up comedy and being a funeral celebrant might not be easy bedfellows, so I might have to make a choice. But uh, <laughs> those are the things I would be if I were not a lawyer. Very interesting. And have you, beyond kind of... Um Wanting to do the stand-up comedy, have you actually dipped your foot into anything? No, no the, the very idea of finding out that I'm not anything like as funny as I think I am <laughs> doesn't bear thinking about. So <laughs> in my own head, I am Kevin Bridges, and when I watch Kevin Bridges, I realise, no, I'm not. But, uh, <laughs> well, I, I should do it one day, but alcohol would have to be involved. Yeah, or oh, you should, definitely. Um, I think a lot of people would come, would pay to watch you. <laughs> right, well, we'll see. <laughs> Okay, question two, Ian, is did you have a nickname at school? And if so, what was it and why were you given it? There are two nicknames I remember, and I hope that at least one of them will surprise you, um, and possibly both. But one I remember as Bean Cole, because <laughs> I was so tall and skinny, you didn't have to laugh at that, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But you've chosen to do so, and it's too late now. Yeah, I was, I was so tall and skinny. Just about the age when uh, other boys were discovering girls, I was discovering shortbread. And so it was all, <laughs> all onwards and outwards from there. But, uh, so yeah, I remember that for, for a year or two. I was, without a hint of irony, called Beanpo. And then, probably without a hint of irony, my other nickname I remember uh, as Hitler. Oh, and I think that was because I annexed the Sudetenland. But it was also because I had, and to some extent still have, a fearful temper. And, and I've always had this florid complexion. This is, not, uh, this is not a thing of adulthood. I've always had this red face. So when I was laying into a fit of temper or shouting at people in the football field or in school or anywhere, then the comparison between me and their Führer at the Nuremberg rally was quite easy to make. So Hitler was two or three years Hitler. I don't think Hitler and Beanpole actually uh, overlap at any point. So I, 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 that's out there now. Never, everyone now knows that. But hopefully you will find those both shocking and unbelievable. Well, shocking and unbelievable, I don't know, but just very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> that's a start. And uh, yeah, um, who knows what you'll be, what will be shouted across the courtroom from now on? Well, uh, yes, <laughs> that, that mild-mannered Mr. McSporin, um, 
there's a, there's a real temper at the back of that. So um, anyway, moving on from that. <laughs> All right. Um, question number three, were you a SWATI type at school? I didn't think of myself as a SWAT, but I think if you passed tests and exams and if you were top in the class at something, top of the class at something, that made you a SWAT. So, yeah. so, so I remember certainly maybe late primary school, early secondary school, some people thought it was a SWAT. I, I didn't um, do more homework than was necessary, but I did reasonably well. The later I got into secondary school, it, far fewer times I was top of the class at anything, so I certainly lost any SWATiness. Remember in, in second year at secondary school, aware that I was seen as perhaps a, a more academic than some of my classmates in the English class, then we had a lovely English teacher called Mr. Brody, and he was a lovely man, but he couldn't impose any discipline in the class, not least because he was notoriously hopeless at using the belt. Now, I'd never had the belt because I was um, a well-behaved child. Huh. But three of my pals were summoned to go outside the room because of their uh, conduct. And I thought this was a chance to rid myself of that reputation. And I said, please, sir, put my hand up, of course, very politely. Please, sir, can I have the belt too? Now, he'd lost control of himself by this time and said, yes. Now, it does seem a slightly odd thing to do. Um, it was even more odd as we got into the corridor and along came the deputy head, Mr. Lays, who had a fearsome reputation with the belt, which he always kept tucked up inside his jacket. And he said, everything all right, Mr. Brody? And thankfully, Mr. Brody said, yes, sir, I've got it all under control. And off went Mr. Lays. But that would have been a very serious error of judgment on my part. So I got one fairly pathetic uh, strap of the belt just to show that it was one of the boys. And um, if that sounds desperate, that's exactly what it was. But I don't think I was thought of as so much as a sport as a madman after that. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, question four, Ian. What was your first job? First job, I think age 12 or 13 was a milk boy. Um, delivering the milk from very early hours of the morning. And then probably about the same time, Sunday paper deliveries. And it was definitely a spell when I was doing both. Um, so yeah, those were my first jobs and the, the Sunday paper delivery in itself taught me quite a lot about human nature. In those days, newspapers weren't as expensive as they are now and a very common purchase by people was the Mail Post and News of the World, the Sunday Mail, the Sunday Post and the, the Scandal Sheet and News of the World. And so then I moved on to, my, my route took me for, through the the working class, ordinary areas of Campbelltown, and then on to the middle class areas where I got rid eventually of the weight of the Observer and two Sunday Telegraphs. <laughs> that's where that's where they had been. But there were always, always people who took the post papers and the news of the world. So it quite, gives you quite an insight into human nature. So I did a few years, both milk and papers, and then started working in a shop in Campbelltown. Right. Shop. So um, it was all downhill after that. <laughs> Very good. Okay, um, question five. How do you define success? I, I, there's a lot of these questions are very difficult. I think for me, success is not being found out. And so I've been pretty successful because I've not been found out yet. But more seriously, I think success is building and retaining a reputation. And I think you've succeeded if people think of you as competent and reliable. Um, I remember that my father died 
Um, amongst the letters that my mother got uh, was from, he was a television and radio engineer and hardworking and very able man in that field. And there was a letter from one of his customers. She, she was a lady and she was a lady. She, she had a title and, and he used to have to go over to Gia to fix the television of the, the house there, the big house there. And she simply wrote, an elderly lady now, she simply wrote, if, if Ian couldn't fix it, then it couldn't be fixed. And I just thought that was a really nice way to remember him as a, as a man who could be relied upon. And I think that is one measure of success. So uh, yeah. if, if we ever get to the stage of people saying about me, if it, if it can't be fixed, then you can't fix it, then it can't be fixed. That's as high as I can that. get. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay, Ian, your favourite drink is question number six. Well, I'm sure you, like everyone else, know that I like nothing more than a, a lovely cup of Earl Grey tea. <laughs> but if, if that can't be located, then an ice Rioja is my favourite wine. But if I, had to, if I had to settle for one drink as being my favourite, then an 18-year-old Springbank Camberton milk whiskey would fit in Difficult to get a hold of, particularly now during the time of uh, unemployment. It's something I couldn't possibly justify purchasing. But that's, <laughs> a, that's a lovely drink for a special occasion. Okay. <laughs> Question seven. Uh, what don't you like about your job? Well, as, as you know, I've been prosecuting for 13 years, but now defending for roughly a year now until the interruption came along. But, but both of those jobs... The thing I love both jobs, but the thing I don't like about each of them is the almost unlimited opportunity it offers you to make a mistake which is going to have a very serious impact on someone else's life. Mm. And I mean, it, lots of jobs have pressure. If I were a brain surgeon, it would be a very different pressure. But the, the job I find, in all seriousness, is getting harder rather than easier. And there are more and more obstacles being placed in the way of core practitioners from doing the job we thought we were there to do. And uh, we have to adapt to what the appeal court says and to what uh, Parliament says. But adapting to it is not very easy. So I find it more and more difficult to do the job properly, mm -hmm. the way I think it could be done properly. But the fact that my error could result in a guilty person being acquitted, an innocent person being convicted um, or justice not done is, is a heavy burden. So that's the one thing I don't like about it. But the job couldn't be the, the great job it is without having that degree of responsibility too. Yeah. I've, I've made some real blunders in my time and uh, that's not, not a happy thing. Yeah. And I think I remember you saying on the recent BBC documentary that was uh, launched of the Inverkit murder, I remember comment by you that really struck me which was you as you get older you find I, I can't remember whether it was your speech to the jury or whether it was just the actual going into court and presenting a case itself gets harder um no question about it um as a young fiscal i had no fear mm -hmm. um as an old <laughs> an old prosecutor or defense counsel i, I sometimes think i've got nothing but fear I, I, I can see the problems everywhere, mm. necessarily solutions. But um, I, I sometimes say this to, to younger lawyers in the hope that it might give them some uh, solace or confidence that, that my heart is thumping in my chest before I get to, up to ask the first question. It settles down after that. But I, I've, I've found myself getting more and more nervous rather than less. Yeah. And that may be just a, a reflection of the fact that I now realise 
just how difficult the job is. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting because, um, and I think there's the art of just getting up there and getting on with it. And usually, as yeah. you say, once you get over the initial few questions and you get into it, then you can relax a bit. But I think everybody yes. does feel that, don't they? Well, I, I, see, that's the trouble. I, I always assume it's only me because I see <laughs> others who are cool as cucumbers, and I think, well, it must be me, and that makes it worse. But I'd like to hear from I'd like to hear from Brian McConaughey, for example, yeah. or Ian Duguid, that, that they feel nervous too because they don't show it. Um, um, if if they don't feel nervous, I don't want to hear that from them. No, absolutely. I, I'll now picture them as being bags of nerves as well. <laughs> All right. Um, Question number eight, which has been the most memorable case you've done to date? I've watched, I've watched a few of these quizzes, not, not all the way through, because I didn't want to um, sort of try and adapt my own answers to others. But I know that both of these have been mentioned already. And in the same context, really, the most memorable for, for all the negative reasons is the prosecution of Aaron Campbell uh, for the, the, the rape and murder and memorable in as much as I will never be able to rid myself of the, the feelings I have from that case. And I'm sure I'm not alone. I know that, that police officers, even the pathologist in giving evidence was almost in tears. Uh, defence counsel and agent, I know, all were affected and will be affected by that case. Mm. And you, you think you're inured to it, but you're not. And I. I just know every time there's a, a newspaper article or something on the, the television about the case and I see the photograph of that beautiful wee girl, it just takes me back to the most horrible place. So from the point of view of being memorable, that, that's a case that will never leave me. Mm-hmm. And there's another perhaps selfish thing about that case is that despite thinking I have a reasonably, reasonably good cross-examination style, I have to acknowledge that I was completely confounded by a 16-year-old boy. I didn't lay a glove on him. Mm. That makes you think, what, what skill set do I have if he was able to resist any of my apparent skills? But that, that's, a, that's a selfish and trivial thing. The, the, the horror of that case is unbelievably memorable. Yeah. Um, so moving on, on, on a lighter note, nonetheless a murder with its own horrible aspects, the, the Inverkit murder, and it's memorable simply because I now have a permanent record of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was, that was an interesting programme to participate in. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to have seen more episodes because I know that the film a lot more with me in the court and with uh, other participants. Um, and, and being able to see that on television and seeing the good reaction it brought, generally very positive reaction, not just to me, but reflected, I think, in the the excellent work of everyone. The the criminal justice system, I think, came out of that very well with a very good reputation because everyone involved, the judge, defence counsel, and everyone who could have contributed to making that a good advert for the Scottish criminal justice system did. And and the filmmakers did a a good job Mm -hmm. in setting that. So that's that's my... I I mean, I'm I'm always going to be able to reflect on that. And when people still say to me in the street, were you the the guy from the TV? And generally, they say we thought it was brilliant. And I think the public got a good insight, in the beginning of an insight, because of course there's a lot more to the trial than we saw. So that's that's a happier thing to remember. Yeah. Even although, of course, it has the sadness of poor Margaret Fleming um, yeah. attached to it. But 
Uh, and, and just generally, the, the connection I made with uh, Tommy Ross and Ian Duguid during quite a long trial and in the aftermath of it, I think we're all to an extent uh, marked by our participation in that and marked in a good way by it. I think we've all, we're all a credit, I hope, to, to what we're representing. Yeah, absolutely. And I too, I, I thought it was a great um, programme and I w- would have happily watched many, many more op- episodes <laughs> of it. Um, and yeah. it wasn't one where you found yourself shouting at the telly, which is quite often what you do when there's any kind of legal programme on exactly. television. It was a really yeah. good representation of really what, what the criminal justice system is like, a really good fly-in-the-wall um, observation. Yeah, and of course, I, I got a result. Which is, well, no, it's not. It's not important at all. That, <laughs> that goes without saying. <laughs> Okay, um, question number nine. Tell me one thing, Ian, that would surprise me about you. Well, I, I can't say whether it would surprise you, but it, it may surprise you that I'm an extremely shy individual and lacking in, if I go into a room with people I don't know or who don't know me, I'm, I'm completely lacking in confidence. I'm not gregarious in any way, no matter what my court persona might be. And so what that, you know, that may not surprise you. You may think I am the archetypal uh, wallflower and, and not conversationally sound or, or, or when I come into a room, people leave quickly. But <laughs> I, I think that you present a persona and a courtroom persona is one thing, but it's not like me in normal life. I, I'm, I shy away from, uh, from conversations and, and groups where I'm not comfortable. Mm. Um, I was going to say there's something else. Yes, the other thing that might surprise you, um, because you've known me for so long as a prosecutor, is the the, the hours which I spend sleepless some nights worrying about um, the possibility that that I've had people convicted who who should not have been convicted. To you. And that that goes back to the the, the pressures of the job. and I, that, again, so it might, it might surprise you, but that's something that's a recurring theme for me, that convictions in trials from years back or not so many years back, which I often wake up wondering, how could they have, how could he have, how could she have committed that crime? How, how can it be that they are guilty? Not necessarily, not necessarily the same thing as saying, I think they're innocent or believe they're innocent. Mm. There are ones where I really wonder whether whether people may have gone to prison who shouldn't have gone to prison. And that's a tremendous responsibility to have. Yeah. Um, so, how do you overcome that then? How do you then um, get that 18, out? 18 year old spring back. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, you, know, you see, you're linking these, uh, linking these questions nicely. Um, I, I, I always have to come back to the fact that there was a requirement of proof beyond reasonable doubt that there was a jury assembled to consider the evidence and my speech. It would be conceited in the extreme of me to think, well, there's something about my talents in particular which secured a conviction there, which perhaps uh, others might not. But, but I'm afraid to say there are times when I wonder about one or two cases whether that might be the case. That there was just something which the jury latched on to. Yeah. And where I think, would I be satisfied beyond reasonable doubt? Uh, and the answer for two or three people who are in jail just now, my answer would be I would not be satisfied with unreasonable doubt. That's not a criticism of the jury, of course. Mm-hmm. And my answer to your question is it was the jury's decision, not mine, but it, it, it does worry me. 
Yeah, and I suppose we are we as uh, lawyers are are quite you know we're quite happy to take uh, a result that we see being in our favour when we do think it's something we've done to persuade a jury. But yeah. I can see in your circumstance that that can haunting you is maybe the uh, too strong a word, but it would play in your mind, especially in the weeks of hours. It's not too far off haunting me because the, the, I don't want to overdo it, but the, the reality is I, I, I do wonder whether there are people who, who have now exhausted the appeals process who will have to finish their life sentence. If, if they did not commit the crime, then I've been party to a, uh, not necessarily a miscarriage of justice because if justice was done, but if, if they were not in fact guilty, then I have to have some responsibility for that. I just hope they can they can haunt me in my my dreams. I just hope never to have to confront them in the street. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's move on from that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Too serious. Yeah. Um. Let's let's talk about other people. What traits in other people irritate you most? Just bad manners. Uh, manners make it the man and the woman. I. I People who you don't go into single file when you're walking towards them on the pavement and make you go into the road. People who people who you don't keep time properly. A, a lack of punctuality is just an aspect of bad manners. I was going to say um, when I see uh, anyone not offering their seat to an elderly or infirm person on the bus, but that's that's going to become a thing of the past. But anyway, there won't be any crowded buses for a while. But um, I, I I remember when my children were younger. Uh, we're walking into town with them and uh, this couple of elderly people saying, well, you, you lovely children, they've got such good manners. And I thought, well, that's it. My, my job here is done. Yeah. They have good manners. Everything else that's up to them. And so bad manners is, is, is unbearable, are unbearable. Okay. All right. Um, question number 11, your favourite flavour of crisps? I'm not going to be controversial and say something like, well, I don't eat crisps, which seems to have been occasionally the response given. <laughs> I think my favourite flavour is prawn cocktail. Subject to the caveat that if I ever ordered a prawn cocktail and it tasted like that, I would send it back. <laughs> <laughs> How on earth? So I, I'm toying with golden wonder tomato crisps are pretty close, but I'll, I'll go with prawn cocktail. Okay. And I hope that doesn't give an insight into my mind, which I'm unaware of. So, uh, <laughs> psychologists working there saying anyone who likes fun cocktail crisps, very dodgy. So that's, that's my final answer. That is the first answer we've had so far in terms of uh, flavours of crisps for that answer. Right. Yeah, most are, I think cheese and onions probably the top of the list, but we've had a couple of vegans as well. Um, yes, yeah. So no, you're the first prawn cocktail, so I don't right. know what that says about you. <laughs> One of a kind. Uh, question 12, what book would you recommend everyone should read? I know I should come up with something earth-shattering and, uh, and unique. Um, not so much what people should read, I would recommend they read. Now, uh, Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, fabulous book, many years since I've read it. War and Peace, people who have not read that because they think it's daunting in its size, fantastic. So those are books which improving books, if you like, which I would definitely recommend people read. But lockdown has allowed me to read books. I finished the, the, the Wolf Hall trilogy. Okay. Shortly into to lockdown. Absolutely brilliant. And I'm not, I'm not a fan of the, the Kings and Queens of England or anything of that sort. This was just wonderful writing. Um, 
So I'm, I'm giving you more than one book here. I've also just finished volume two of the three-part biography of Margaret Thatcher. Okay. A fantastic, fantastic, illuminating biography, not only of one of the key figures of the 20th century, but a record of a time through which I grew up, and many of my contemporaries will recognize the minor strike, the writing bomb, all sorts of things going on. And mm -hmm. um, so, lover or hater, uh, it's, that's a fantastic read. And then finally, a plug for a Campbellton author called Denzel Myrick. He was a year below me at school and a neighbor of mine. He, he writes um, police thrillers set in Campbelltown, although it's called Kinloch for the purposes so that Campbelltown as a town never sees him. But uh -huh. I think we're now onto the eighth book in the DCI Daily series, just published, I've just finished reading it. It's all you can read in a sitting, man. Just brilliant. So if, a bit of entertainment and a bit of a laugh, there's uh, Denzel so I'll go with that for Denzel and see if you're ready to some Brilliant. Well, hopefully somebody will pick that up now. And <laughs> that sounds a, they all sound a, a real Yeah, yeah highly recommend you. Okay. Now, question number 13. Do you have any irrational fears? My own view is that all fears are rational. There's a reason for having a fear. For example, my, my fear of heights is founded on the the well-known uh, uh, consequences of falling from them. So I, I think I'm entitled to the fear of heights. I don't like spiders very much, uh, but I think that's perfectly rational. They're, they're designed not to be liked. Mm -hmm. um, so no, I don't think I've got any irrational fears. Um, fear, fear of, again, fear of, fear of failure, fear of making a complete mess of something in court, that's not irrational because that's happening. So it's, <laughs> it rightly frightens me. Okay. <laughs> Question 14, uh, how old are your oldest pair of shoes? This, this, is, this is where we're getting to the nitty-gritty of this question. I, <laughs> I, I don't keep receipts, um, but I did buy a pair of, I treated myself to a pair of Barker shoes, must be 10 years ago or more in the January sales in Edinburgh, because uh, I'd heard of Barker shoes, the famous shoes made in England. And time, but, 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 I was, believe it or not, I was going to bring them to show them to you. <laughs> I thought that's about as sad as it gets. I will be mocked and vilified if I do that, pulling up a shoe, especially if it's still attached to my foot. Um, but, but they are, they're, they're, they're quite unique, they're a beautiful shoe. And I've done some, my shoes take a bit of a, a pounding because of the weight that's going on to them. But had these be sold and healed, that's how good they are. A lovely okay. shoe. Um, and I think just over 10 years old. So that's the oldest pair of shoes I have. I'm still going yeah. strong, Ian. They are. They are they get, yeah. They're out for special occasions only. Although the last time, I, you can wear them just with jeans. You don't have to be fancy clothing. They look really smart. Except my wife said to me, uh, the last time I wore them, do you not think they are getting a bit dated? So you may never see their light again. <laughs> Maybe not. Oh, dear. Um, question 15. Who has had the biggest influence on your career in law? I think quite a few people have to... Uh, we consider for that. My, my late brother Alistair, he was the first lawyer in our family um, and became a fiscal when he called, well, not long after he qualified, inspired me to go into law and then into the fiscal service. So he's certainly an influence. And my first uh, boss as a fiscal, George Scott, was a big influence, a real support, and, and, and really told me what, it, what, what being a good fiscal was all about. And then people throughout the years have uh, influenced me 
when I gained my rights of audience at a time when I had left the fiscal service and was a defence solicitor, I was approached in the street by John Beckett, who asked, um, in a way which kind of brooked no uh, refusal, whether I would be interested in becoming an advocate deputy. And he really encouraged me into that. And when I was there as an advocate deputy, people like Brian McConaughey and Alec Prentice and many others um, tremendously supportive and, and allow you to grow. And you, you don't start as an advocate deputy as, as the finished article. So I think I developed a lot during that time. And um, Franville Holland was a tremendous support. He was Lord advocate. And, and all the law officers and all my colleagues have always been supportive. But if you're looking for someone who's uh, an influence, um, then I think Franville Holland as well. I'm trying to get as many judges in here so that I can get favours back from them for saying this. <laughs> <laughs> I assume it works that way, yes? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly how it works. That's a whole right, idea. Good. <laughs> good stuff. Um, your favourite chocolate bar, Ian, question 16. Well, this is... Um, and genuinely, this would, this would be my answer, regardless of what was going before, but because it was my father's favourite chocolate bar, when we used to get sent down to the sweetie shop in Campbell Plain with a a list of requests whenever there was money to buy chocolates. A thighs cream was his chocolate bar of choice. And I always thought it's a kind of sophistication about a thighs cream that even bars of whole nut and the like don't have. So as a, as a special treat from time to time, and I would definitely say my favourite. And it's not because Tommy Ross likes it, <laughs> and it's not even because it might be vegan. And I actually Googled it, and it turns out it probably is vegan and has been ever since it was first made okay. over a century ago. Um, not so keen on the, the fruit-centred ones and all that, but the peppermint it has to be the fondant. So they are another vote for the fries chocolate cream. A bit of, bit of a sophistication to it, Ian, you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you, you wouldn't eat that to satisfy the cravings of a sweet tooth. You'd eat that to make you look like quite a cool person, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Is that about me, anyway? <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, question 17. What is the fanciest event that you've ever been to? I, I think some people have struggled with this from the, the clips I've looked at, and I, I do too. I mean, I've been to uh, dinners and all sorts. I'm not, I, I think we're, we're testing the word fanciest here. I think the, the, the day that I appeared in court first for the opening of the legal year as um, Queen's Counsel mm -hmm. was fancy. It was ruined only slightly by the fact that my wife was coming with me and we got the bus from Harrington and the bus ran into roadworks and we were late. So we, I was the only person who didn't have to wee chat with the Lord Justice General or Lord President beforehand. I, I joined the queue late and went where someone told me to. And unfortunately, Irene Cummins had just gone elsewhere. She would have kept me right. But as the sole solicitor advocate in that year's intake, I ought to have been at the end so that when the Lord President read along from right to left, I was the last name because members of faculty go first and then you take up the slack. Because someone had put me in the wrong place, I was in, in the middle. And so he came and he, he, the Lord President got a bit confused seeing me there. And I suspect from that day to this, he thinks I was making a point of some kind <laughs> on behalf of solicitor advocates. In fact, it was because the 104 from Haddington was held up in the works. That was that. I'd like. I'd like to send that message to the Lord President that it was not a snub or, or a protest in any way. It was just me being incompetent. 
<laughs> that was fancy. I also think when, when the court is in its full pomp, that's a fancy event. And I was delighted to be asked by Douglas Fairley, my former colleague as an advocate deputy, to attend his installation. So I was in the sort of guests box. Mm-hmm. And it, not only was it a fantastic thing to see the judges in all their finery and, and to see him, who's by no means the, the most shy and retiring person you know, uh, <laughs> shaking with nerves at what he was about to, to under, oh, undertake. Um, and then a very nice lunch, courtesy of then Lord Fairley, uh, afterwards. I thought it was a lovely thing to see and be part of. And it also made me think, right, here I am, 55, I now know someone who's a judge. <laughs> because I don't, I don't know the legal profession. I don't know the, the people who end up becoming judges, and now I do. So I've made it. I can stop now. Absolutely. And, and there's another name ticked off. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> 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 keep those favours coming. Um, question 18, Ian. What quirks do you have? Well, you mentioned earlier shouting at the TV. Um, I, I don't know if that's a quirk or a foible um, or just a a really pain in the neck characteristic. Shouting at the TV is something that just can't stop. It doesn't have to be anything really important. Someone saying something silly. But, but I'm known for being pretty pedantic. I'm not always right about it, of course, but I'm pedantic. And for example, and this shows how pathetic I am, all of this lockdown uh, business is, is defined for me by the message originally sent out by all the governments of the United Kingdom to uh, stay home. And I would shout at the TV or indeed a passing bus with the sign on it saying, it's stay at home. And I could do this in the voice of a well-known judge who might also have a bit of a reputation for being pedantic, but the, I don't, I'm not going to do that because I have a reputation to maintain. Stay at home. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's it, done. done very badly. I haven't rehearsed that. But um, it, stay home is an Americanism. Stay at home is what um, you say, say in this country. So I've ignored the message. I've been wandering about all around the place because we, we can't get it right. I haven't been there. Very, I've been very good. But, so that, that's the level to which I will descend in order to try and be a pain in the neck. So I think, I think you're quite right, Ian. I I, well, I think I am too. Yes. Absolutely. If you want to send out a message, it needs to be clear and it needs to be accurate. Right, and hopefully not viewed by certain judges, right? <laughs> All right, we shall move on. Um, question 19, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Well, I suppose the best piece of advice I've never been given is if Edith asks you to participate in this quiz, then don't. <laughs> uh, but um, the, I'm not sure it was, it was advice I was given, but it's advice that I would give, which is if you've made a mistake, Accept it, own up to it, and deal with it. And the worst error I ever made in in my professional life could have resulted in an undoubtedly guilty murderer uh, walking free. And there was simply no point in and I, I, in submissions to the court. I used the word blunder several times about myself. The blunder I had made is a very small thing, but with potentially disastrous consequences. And it was, a, it was a murder case in which the family of the deceased were present in large numbers and whom I'd been engaging with. And they heard me um, making these groveling apologies and I made them to them as well. And eventually the trial was restarted a day later. Um, and just as we were about to start, 
the, the woman from the witness service came in to me and she had tears running down her eyes and, and she said to me, the family just want you to know they have every confidence in you. Mm-hmm. And I think because I had been open with them, you just mm-hmm. you own it, you accept your mistake. So, uh, and it was a unanimous guilty, I should say, for those interested. Um, yeah, that's that's good advice, whether I was given it or just picked it up. If you've done something wrong, just accept it. Yeah. Absolutely. There's nothing worse than watching someone who's clearly done something yeah. wrong and trying yeah. to wheedle their way out of it, and it's clear it's getting worse and worse for them. Absolutely. And worse still if they try and blame someone else. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's that's my highest uh, advice. Very good advice, Ian, absolutely. Um Okay, question 20, what job would you be terrible at? That's, that's really begging a question as to whether I'm very good at this one, but uh, <laughs> leaving that aside, um, one of my summer jobs when I was at university was in Campbellton, the Campbellton Creamery, and there was a large field attached to the Creamery's land where they were growing trees. There was a tax break at that time for growing trees, I remember rightly. And so these young trees, very young trees, had to be protected as I cut round them with a petrol-driven strimmer, a fantastic piece of equipment. And um, it turns out that young trees and long grass look remarkably similar. So there's a job I was terrible at, avoiding the trees. If it, the, 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 it's now grown into a pretty well-developed wood, but there are large gaps in it. And I always look at them and think that's where a young tree was felled in its prime by me. So I can't see the, can't see the trees for the grass. There's a job I wasn't very good at. <laughs> okay. Question 21. What is the weirdest talent that you have? There's, there's playing penny whistle through your nose count. Uh, absolutely. Are you yeah, able to I'll give us a demonstration? I'll go and learn to do that then, if that counts as a weird talent. Of course I can't do that. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm struggling to find a talent I have for this, a weird one. I'm, I'm going to have to pass on this one simply because if I had a weird talent, I probably wouldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no party tricks that you do or anything like that? Not that I'm prepared to admit to. No, no, I'm, genuine, no I'm pretty dull. Pretty dull. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we come to the, the last question, <clears throat> which is what have you enjoyed most about lockdown? The answer has to be prefaced by saying, since tens of thousands of people have died and the system of government in this country has shown itself to be completely inadequate to the task, it's quite odd to talk about enjoying anything. But if we put that aside, I've enjoyed just about everything. Particularly when the lovely weather we had, which is on its way back, being able to sit out in the garden, a glass of wine and a big book you wouldn't otherwise have time to read, spending time with my wife, I know that sounds corny, um, but that, that's been really good. Mm-hmm. It's been a kind of trial run for retirement, but since I'm not less with a pension, then retirement's not going to happen. So I'm going to enjoy retirement now and then get back to work. <laughs> and I've just put out, out of my mind the fact that I'm currently living off the money which HMRC will be looking for at the end of January. January can look after itself. Mm-hmm. I genuinely, now getting back out to golf, nine holes most days, um, I, I, I don't need lots of other people's company. I'm quite happy. I mean, with the wife and, and the two kids, kids have been avoiding us as much as possible, which is what children should do. But it, it does, it feels quite shameful to say it, but I've really, really enjoyed that. Yeah. So I choose you to be more person. 
I don't think there's any shame in that at all, Ian. I think that's uh, a good answer, and I'm sure many people share that. <laughs> I, I hope so. It's uh, the more people you interview, the more difficult the answering task becomes. But uh, I, I hope that any, some of these answers, particularly let's let's not forget the beanpole Hitler answer, that's got to be a good one. That very few other people will have come up with. I'm guessing. So I Absolutely. Hope that, I hope that people enjoy watching and, and listening to this. Oh, I'm sure they absolutely will. And you have successfully com completed the quiz. All, all the questions have been answered and answered exceptionally well. You have <laughs> been you. a most entertaining guest. Thank you so much. You're very um, welcome. Before I let you go, can I just ask you to nominate someone else to take the quiz? Well, I mentioned earlier my, my, the colleagues who supported me when I first became an advocate deputy, and one of those, and a really splendid chap all round, and, and a, the kind of person I think will have the, the quirks and wit and humour you're looking for, uh, Keith Stewart QC would be my nominee for one of your quizzes. Thank you, Ian. I'm sure he will take up that challenge. Um, so again, thank you. You've been a, an absolutely fantastic guest. Thank you for your time. and. I hope to see you soon. Yes, and yes, you too. And um, my best wishes to everyone who might still be tuning into these things. I hope you're all coping well and I hope we do all meet again soon. Okay, Annie. thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hey Legal Quiz. We are releasing more episodes weekly, so please sign up for free to Hey Legal on our website to access our free content, legal updates and more. Plus follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram and on all podcasting platforms.